So I am so pleased to welcome Amy Foy Hageman, whom I have known since she was a very young child and <laughs> who has been an associate of Leading Consciously for the last, how many years, Amy? Four? Three or four years. Yeah. The most remarkable thing happened, which led us to doing this interview. Shortly after George Floyd's death, Amy posted on Facebook something that didn't work out as well as she had hoped. And she ended up in atonement, shall we say? She ended up posting for 30 days straight on race. This interview yeah. is to talk about what happened, how she happened to do it, and uh, what's been the aftermath. So thanks sure. for doing this. And let's begin by finding out about you. So we got to have some background because for somebody to do that, they came from somewhere. <laughs> sure, sure. So I grew up um, in Houston, Texas. And for the people that live outside of Texas, um, everyone that says Houston thinks, you know, oh, a suburb of Houston. And, but I grew up in actual inner city Houston, which is very diverse. So um, my family is not very diverse, it's full of white people. But I, in elementary school, I would say my school was probably just over 50% white. So while I was solidly in the majority, I was around a lot of um, black students and Spanish speaking students, Latino, Hispanic, et cetera. So I am luckier than a lot of white people in this country to have been around other ethnicities from a very early age. And that stayed consistent, um, not during college, because <laughs> I went to a pretty white college, but up, uh, up until college and then after college, I worked for a retail organization in which um, white people were the minority. So I've had a lot of exposure, I guess you could call it. I've been real fortunate to have a lot of other ethnicities in my life. So let's come to George Floyd. Yes. What was your reaction? I, I was devastated and distraught. There were, there were several things that happened. I remember when, when Michael Ferguson was murdered, I remember thinking, okay, now it's been exposed and we're going to take care of it, <laughs> which obviously years went by. That's not what happened. And then um, when I remember when Eric Garner died and he was saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I remember thinking, okay, well, we're going to get rid of chokeholds. Obviously, that's not working for us as a country. We're going to get rid of chokeholds. I'm never going to have to hear I can't breathe again. And for some reason, when George Floyd died and it was, I can't breathe, it just made me feel hopeless in a way that I had never felt before. And then the, the knee on the neck was so visceral for me. My, um, my grandfather was a hunter. And there was a, a very, there's a prominent picture in his house growing up of him with his knee on his neck of a deer. And so to see 
George Floyd, who's also a Houstonian. So I feel like in, in a way, he's like one of my own friends because he's from Houston. Um, to see him so casually pinned down like that, it was, it was just too much. I just, I, I have known logically that people with brown skin have been dehumanized in this country. But then when I saw the knee on the neck, it just, I, I got it. Like how, how big this issue was. Um, and then of course the irony of Colin Kaepernick kneeling and people making it about the flag. There was just so much going on in that one image that had me, I was just genuinely distraught um, by it. And I wanted, and it was one of those things where I didn't know, I wanted to reach out to all of my friends and say, are you okay? But I, I didn't feel like I could because I still was not okay. And I, I realized that part of my impulse for wanting them, for wanting to talk to them was because I wanted them to make me feel better. Um, like, tell me that you're okay so that I can be okay. Because if you're okay, then I'm okay. Cause I'm, I'm white and I'm safe. So um, so then I, it, it took me a long time before I even reached out to a lot of my black friends because I just felt like I needed them more than I could be there for them. It was a really, it was a tough time. Wow. That's an astute observation. So when you finally got reached out, what did you find? Um, well, honestly, by the time I reached out to, to people directly, it was after I had done this whole Facebook posting, I'm going to pledge for 30 days. So it really became more about that. And here's what I'm doing. And I just want you to know that I love you. Um, and they, I mean, everyone was just grateful and said, you know, yeah, we know. And, and it had been, by the time I really reached out, it had, it had been a week since George Floyd died. So um, I found that the friends of mine that are usually pretty distraught were distraught and the friends of mine that have learned to suppress or repress their emotions were doing so. Okay. And it was just the, whatever their normal action was, was a little bit louder than usual. But, but for the black community, this, it wasn't as new to them as it is for me. Yeah, for your friends, for your black friends. Yeah. Okay, what right. about white friends? Yeah, that was really rough. So my white friends were largely much more outspoken after George Floyd's death than in previous times. And what I mean that by that specifically is on social media. Um, I want to say, come to think of it, I don't think any of my white friends no, we did. My closest two or three girlfriends, we did all talk about it over the phone. But in general, my white friends, I would say, were more outspoken about George Floyd's death than they had been following previous deaths, which gave me hope. Um, but I, I was real curious as to why this one, as someone that has you know, been real intentional about trying to become an ally and an advocate and trying to educate myself. 
I was really curious sort of culturally as to why this was the one that sparked so much outrage, even though I had had such a visceral reaction to it as well. It was really interesting to me that all of a sudden people that are normally silent or that it doesn't come up in our casual conversation were all about it. And did you draw any conclusions? Yeah, I think, um, and this is a real common conclusion, but I think it had a lot to do with the fact that we are all home social isolating and that there's, there's nowhere to go. We couldn't just pick up and get back to our normal life and stick our white heads in the sand. You know, we were kind of bombarded with it. And then um, thankfully, you know, the sort of the pop culture was more responsive as well. So there were lots of podcasts and books and interviews that it felt like there was a lot more um, going on in the general media about George Floyd as well. So it just sort of snowballed. Right. Okay. So let's come up to what led to the 30 days of writing about race. Yes. So as you know, I'm not very active on social media. I am, um, well, A, I'm an introvert and B, I'm a people pleaser. So sharing things on social media is fraught because you know somebody's not going to like it. Absolutely. But in the week following George Floyd's murder, I was seeing a lot of my black friends. And for some reason specifically, I was seeing my female black friends from high school. Um, saying, what's up with the white people? Where are the white people? And so I had actually reached out to several of them um, directly and apologized for my silence and simply said, you know, I, I don't know what to say. I feel like everybody's saying everything already. And um, they all responded, oh, you know, not you. We're talking about, you know, the white people that are posting about their lunch. Um, we're not we're not saying the white people that aren't active. We're saying white people that are, that are active, but not saying anything. And I said, oh, okay. But it still didn't sit right with me not to be saying anything. So I found a resource that I like and I scrambled to, to, you know, write a statement and just post it. Like I was just like, okay, I have to do this. So I'm just going to write it and post it. And unfortunately um, in my anxiety and rush, I didn't, I didn't read it well enough or edit it and um, said something to the extent of, you know, and this is all I'm going to say on the matter. Um, and to what I was trying to say is this is going to be my one post. I'm going to post this one time. So you all know that I care and then I'm going to be gone, but, but you know that I'm going to be gone. So that makes it okay. <laughs> was what I was trying to communicate. Um, and that's when you lovingly called me and gave me the feedback that what I had written really didn't sit well no. and um, was coming across as, okay, so now you get to go back to your pretty little white life and we're, we're still out here. So in our conversation, I, you know, lamented to you about my resistance to social media and how it just can feel so arbitrary to me. And everybody's posting everything already, Jean. You know, nobody needs to hear from me. And um, I, don't, I don't think you specifically said the words quantity over quality. But I remember you saying we need voices. We need more voices and more action. And 
to some extent more often and more frequent is better than once and perfect. So, you know, that was a lovely conversation and, and we hung up and I just thought about it. And did we I think it was like the next. Did we talk about that? How you were going to make it up? I can't remember. We, I asked you if you had an opinion about, should I just edit the original post? Should I make a statement? Should I just say nothing and learn my lesson? Um, and you didn't solve it for me. <laughs> you really, you can decide what to do, Amy. I'm just giving you the feedback. I was thinking you cannot leave it alone. I know I was thinking that, but right. I didn't think you would. Be. Right. Okay. So right. I, but I didn't say that. I just let it be. You did. I, I think I remember you saying I needed to do something. Okay. Um, but but you weren't you were not going to solve it for me. I remember that. Yes. No. I was not. So I remember it very clearly. It was the next day. I was outside during isolation. I was home with my two and a half year old and one year old. I was outside with them, and it was a beautiful day. And I was just feeling really peaceful that day. And I, and I just had this idea of, you know, if I really wanted to make this right, I would just write every day for 30 days. And it just felt like this very simple, obvious idea that it would, A, demonstrate my commitment to my friends of, of color. And then also, it would help me heal my resistance to social media. And whatever it is that needed to come up for me to be healed was going to come up during the 30 days. That's it. So it just, it just was this idea that I had and um, I kind of waited for my ego to step in and say, listen, this is a terrible idea, but it, it never did. It just felt like you can write every day for 30 days, like you know enough and you've been doing your own work long enough and it's just writing on Facebook and because I am white, like what's the worst that's going to happen? Someone's going to call me a bad name. You know, like, so the stakes were, were relatively low. Um, it didn't always feel that way. Sometimes it felt like I might ostracize somebody in my family or something like that. But for the most part, someone's feelings would get hurt, would be the worst that would happen. So I posted, I want to say it was May 30th or May 31st, and announced that, you know, I had had this other post and had not intended to be offensive, but was incredibly offensive. And so um, as a way of atoning, as you said, or I would like to say like taking, um, being accountable, I decided to write for 30 days. And I shared um, that post, as a matter of fact, the post that said, okay, I've done something offensive and here's how I'm going to move forward. That was May 31st. That post was the most liked commented shared post really of the whole series mm -hmm. the of the whole series the first one? yeah the, what i call day zero and then day one was the next most popular whoa so what was in day zero it was it, it contained the interaction between us as i recall right right so day zero i um i cut i cut and paste the offensive part of my original post and said, you know, what, that I understood what I had communicated, which was not my intention, of course, and then said, 
you know, in light of both what I need to learn and what I'm getting feedback from my black friends is that they need more consistency and more white voices. In light of that feedback, I've decided to post every day for 30 days. Okay. And that got so it wasn't that got the most post. And and I didn't know that until we were preparing for this interview and I went back and looked at everything. And I remember that the beginning had the most, but it was it was literally day zero, like not even because I did the 30 days of June, June 1st through June 30th. So it wasn't even June 1st. It was the end of May. Um, so it would have been, I think, six days after George Floyd died that I had said, OK, I'm going to post for 30 days. OK, so now you start. How yeah. hard, how easy, how did you plan? How did you decide? <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting. When I clear, I want to make sure people clear. We're talking about your writing on your Facebook page. Yes, and on my personal Facebook page. Okay. I did make it public in case there was anything worth sharing. Okay. Um, so I figured out from the beginning that it it was a weird sort of friction because I was writing because I love my black friends and family and our adopted family, I should say. And then, but I wasn't writing to them. Like there's nothing I could say to black people that's going to help them, you know? So it was like, I wanted to write in honor of black people, but to a white audience. And once I got that sort of figured out, I thought, okay, what's, the goal here and I had started off thinking that I was going to try to attack very common um, sort of social media threads. So like people that say all lives matter. I thought maybe I'll, I'll do a post about why we say black lives matter instead of all lives matter. I thought I would do a lot of that type of content. Um, and then it just didn't feel like a strong enough vision. Um, so when I got really clear, I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to help people, white people who weren't as far along in their self-reflective journey as I was. And I just wanted to share my experiences in the hopes that it would help people get through their own. Um, and I wanted to have as much as possible, I wanted to have some hopeful messages and empowering messages because my experience and observation has been that a lot of times white people will get motivated by something and they'll, they'll dive in. I'm going to be an ally. I'm going to do all the education. Like, let's go. And then it gets rough. You know, they learn and it's scary or sad or they, you know, get more involved, but then they upset black people and then they decide, well, it's not worth it. If I'm going to go, you know, out of my way and then still not be helping that I'm, you know, and it feels like it's very easy to get burned out as a white person. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I just, I wanted to, I didn't want to necessarily call that out specifically over and over again, but I, I wanted to write in a way that would, that would continue to sort of bring hope and, and empowerment to white people that are early in this journey. Cause it's a, it's a rough journey to find out that you're privileged and fragile and that, <laughs> And that there's no easy answer. So, yeah. So, yeah. So then, uh, the, but in terms of how I figured out specifically what to write, 
um, it became sort of a daily routine where um, I would wake up every morning between 5 and 5.30 and I would edit what I had written, post it around 6 a.m. And then I had a babysitter coming at 10 a.m. to be with my toddler while I put my infant down for a nap. So I had, you know, those first four hours in the morning to let my mind wander and come up with an idea for the next day. So I never really had a very structured plan. I knew that I wanted to talk about reparations at some point, but I figured that would be towards the end of 30 days. That was the only thing I really had as like, okay, we have to talk about this topic was I knew we had to talk about reparations. Um, otherwise it was just day by day. Okay. So how was the, how were, how was it received? What happened? Well, before, yeah, before you say that, let me ask a question before that. What kind of topics did you, what, give an example of a, one of your favorite topics. Sure. Um, I talked a lot. I, as you know, am I, I'm an emotion geek. I love studying emotions. And so I talked a lot about white guilt, white shame, how to, how to process your shaming thoughts and move into something more positive, how to get into curiosity. I had several posts just on the emotional experience of a white person. Um, one of my favorite topics was actually about how we are allies in this race and we have the same goal, um, but our emotional experiences are so different. That was one of my favorite topics because I, as a white person, I was almost caught off guard to realize, you know, all these white people are finally showing up to the table after George Floyd. Like we're finally here. We're all excited. Like let's make stuff happen. And my black friends were like, listen, we're tired. You know, <laughs> that was one of my favorite posts because I, I was, I was hearing that from my black friends and all my white friends that aren't in close relationship with black people they weren't getting that feedback. And so that was a really helpful post for a lot of people to understand that it's not that black people aren't excited that white people are finally waking up, but so. Um, and then there were also some topics like, you know, just what is white privilege and fragility and um, that, that sort of thing. One of my favorite topics was a very short post and I talked about um, facial recognition and the technology behind facial recognition and how um, precarious that is because it's way more accurate on lighter skin tones and on darker skin tones and how when this technology gets used with policing, we're going to have really large issues on our hands. Um, and the reason why that was one of my favorite topics was because A, it was short and easy to write, but B, I heard from some of my black male friends on that post that I didn't know were even reading it. And they just shared their experience. I had two or three friends and it just, it felt so great for me to know that they felt seen and I didn't even know they were reading it. And so to know that they were reading it and that they felt seen just a little bit by me was, was really satisfying and motivating to keep going. Were people offended? Did you get, negative comments, even hate comments? No. No. Okay. Not a single one. So it was I did get, I got one corrective comment 
not in the post, but I was going back and forth with someone lovingly. We were just spitting out ideas. I was going back and forth with someone and I put out an idea that she thought was offensive and explained why that was the only negative feedback I got, but nothing about my post, nothing hateful, nothing derogatory. So did you agree with her that it was offensive? Yes and no. Um, I can see why she thought it was offensive. Um, part of which was because I hadn't communicated my idea clearly enough and she had a different understanding than what I was trying to communicate. But even the, the idea I had, I could still see why she might think that it was offensive. Um, Would you but the reason that she was offended was because she thinks that white people shouldn't need incentive to change. Um, and that, you know, we should rely on our good character and our altruism alone. And um, that's a lovely idea. I, I wish that that would work, but I, I, I don't think incentive would hurt. Um, so that, that's where she was coming from. I had, I had like a, a systemic idea that, you know, what if we all, not just white people, but all citizens, if, what if there was like an online training about bias and the way our brains work with bias? And what if there was a tax incentive just to take the training? Or what if there were tax incentives to educate ourselves on American history or, or that sort of thing? And so she thought my idea was for white people only, which is not what I had intended. Um, so that's, that's what we were going back and forth about. Um, she, she was thinking that I was going to give only white people a tax incentive to learn about bias. <laughs> that, that would be the wrong direction. Okay. Yeah. But that was the only. Going. Oh, sorry. That, that was the only point of friction throughout the whole series. There were lots of people that wanted to add and expand on what I had to say, but I never got anything that was, that was negative. Do you know at the maximum how many people you reached directly, not, not through uh, referral? I have no idea. How many affect your face? Because um, I think I have like 300 Facebook friends. Well, that's a lot of, um, a lot of people. It is, but not everybody sees the post. That was one thing I learned that was real surprising is, is that I thought even if they, if they had liked and commented the day before, then surely what I posted the next day would hit their newsfeed and it didn't. So there were some people that had to search it. Exactly. Um, and then when, when other people would share my post, sometimes I could see what they wrote and sometimes I couldn't. Um, but I heard from a lot of people, like I heard from, my dad, his friend of a friend saw what I had written about, wrote, written about something and thought was super helpful. And I was like, I had no idea he was reading this, you know, um, but his wife is Facebook friends with me. So I guess he was reading his wife. He, like, I have no idea. And that, so, um, that's the second reason I wanted to interview you. I wanted to show the ripple effect. If one person steps out, and influences another who influences another, we will see change. So what was the biggest surprise that you had in this process? Um, 
so I'm just going to be fully vulnerable and fully white. Go for it. And admit there was no prize at the end. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought maybe someone would bring me a ribbon. <laughs> like, there, like, some fireworks. I don't know. There was, I. It just ended. <laughs> it just ended. Yeah. And. I don't know. It felt like it felt like I was practicing for something, but what the thing was I was practicing for, I don't know. So it just sort of ended, um, and I was I was ready for it to be done, but I was also really sad because it had become, you know, something other than being home with my kids. It had become some meaningful activity for me to do. Um, so that was a big surprise. Is that um, I couldn't see what the ripple effect was. And, um, you know, another surprise was people weren't really talking to me about it. Mm. Most of my friends and family, like, unless I brought it up and said, Hey, did you see I'm doing this thing? No one brought it up to me or mentioned what I was writing. It, it, and it was a big part of my life for 30 days. It was pretty much all I thought about a lot, you know, and no one really mentioned it to me. And so I don't know if it was just because it's sort of unorthodox, if they were uncomfortable. Um, but I, you know, I, I went to several family members, um, both my, you know, blood family and my in-laws, several family members being like, have you seen what I'm doing on Facebook? You know, can we talk about it? Um, that was the other surprise as I sort of thought that the um both my family and my friends whether white or black i thought that they might bring it up and no no one ever did maybe one person brought it up yeah really we're in this work for what it does for us and what our ability to make a contribution there are no little gold stars <laughs> a plus on the report all right. It just is. And I'm not surprised right. I brought it up. Uh, very few people would have brought it up because people would not have known what to say. Right. I, I, yeah. After I brought it up, specifically with my parents, after I brought it up with them, I got a lot of, well, how, you know, how's it going? Are you, you're happy? You're doing okay? And I was like, yeah, everything's, everything's great. Once or twice I had a family member say, well, if you finish, I thought, if, <laughs> of course I'm going to finish. But that was, those were the only comments. <laughs> well, I will tell you, I wondered about your family. And I thought, mm. because I knew the history of why you were doing it, I thought you would stay the finish line. But I did wonder about your stamina through this. And, and right. what that would mean for you. And I also did think that Anything we take on, I, you know, I believe in personal growth. So anything we take on that's a challenge is going to benefit us in some way in the end. Right. Oh, your original question was, what did I learn? There's one other really key thing. It's really hard to talk about racism for a whole month and not talk about politics. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> So that's what I've learned is I have to start talking about politics. There's like, I've, I've gotten to that point. It's just, we're going to have the cards out on the table, white people, we've got to step up and we've got to get involved in politics at every level because we can't, 
we can't just love one another into social justice. It's not going to happen. Um, but it was it really going through the 30 days and trying to figure out what to say that would help white people feel empowered, but wouldn't be um, divisive and too political. That was the only thing that got really tricky. Um, and that's also why I saved reparations till the very end. Cause I thought, okay, anyone that's still reading by day 30, like they've, they've stuck with me, you know? So if there are some, um, people who politically are on different sides of the aisle than I am, then they've stuck with me through this far. They, they know my intention is not just to love black people at the sake of white people. You know, I think there's sometimes that friction there. So yeah, it's, to me, I feel like that's my next step of the journey is learning more about politics so that I can get involved more. That has been the single most difficult thing for me, dealing with white friends and those who don't want to get into politics. Well, then if you don't want to get into politics, you can't talk about my life. I can't talk about my life. And so, right. so that moves you out of the arena of a friend into the arena of a colleague that I, I need to right maintain a relationship with and I'm I'm struggling with this issue now because you know I have a blog and I'm struggling you've contributed to the blog and I'm struggling now with that balance of how how to right and I'm about to decide I can't there's no neutral in this game and right so so I'm, I'm glad you said that so tell me about self-doubt (laughs) Um, I think this this was the perfect exercise for me I in general am a person that feels unless I'm on a stage handed a mic then I have no business speaking for some reason I need some sort of a position or authority to feel like my voice matters so um, writing every day and trying to convince myself that this mattered was a a perfect tool to handle my self-doubt um and it 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 was a beautiful you know I said there there was no ribbon at the end and there wasn't but there were people that I would get a message here or there talking about something that I wrote and how it affected them or they hadn't seen it that way um and it was really affirming for me to say okay no, I'm not a politician. I'm not a leader in an organization, but my voice does matter. It is having an impact. So it was every time I would sort of get to that place of, oh my gosh, like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? I would, I would get a message that would, it would really keep me going. So I, I feel like I have much less self-doubt now than I did before the 30 days. So I will tell you that on one of your posts, a comment was put by someone we both know that said, Gene, I didn't, Gene, and named two other people whom I assume were black. I didn't know. I'm sorry, I didn't know. And I assumed I would. And I thought if nothing else happens, this person who I know is very influential in her sphere of influence, if you've reached this one person speaking of the ripple effect, what that could mean right. in terms of impact on the world. I was, and I'm saying this because I want the person, I'm sure will watch the interview, I want her to know <laughs> how meaningful that was to me. So. And, 
what's interesting about that is I almost didn't even notice it. Oh, God. Because I, I know who she is. She's a well-meaning white person, you know? And so I, it's like it hadn't dawned on me that she didn't know whatever it was she didn't know. It just hadn't dawned on me. And so when she wrote that comment, I was sort of like, oh, okay, well, that's nice. I was thinking in terms of, oh, I'm glad my sharing helped her. It didn't hit me how impactful that might be for you and for everyone else. So, so in our lives and black people's lives, those of us in professional spheres and have white colleagues and friends, there's always this thing of here's this wonderful person who would give her last shirt for me and who this whole part of me is not in the conversation, not acknowledged, mm. not anything. Mm. And so right. I go in with half of myself, not my full self into that relationship. And I'm not the only one. My, we talk about it a lot among my black friends, this, this split, right. split that we have to uh, live. And I, I really think the person we're talking about is lovely. You're right. And so to have that from her was just, it, ma it made your whole 30 days worth it to me personally. Mm. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. She so, will be too. Huh? And she will be too, I'm sure. Yes. So... Can you name one thing that you know that white people, whatever, some white people who read this, one thing they learned that they did not know? Ooh. I really think, I really think white people have an underestimation about how political it is. I think in general, when we talk about racism, white people think we're talking about bad people, bad individuals who are hateful. And that's part of why we haven't moved very far is because we'll, if we have a conversation about race, we're like, well, I'm not racist. I don't, you know. And I think white people are, are now beginning to learn it's not it's not that it's not about us as individuals because we do have to do the individual work, but unless we do the system work, it's not going to get very far. No, it will not. No, it's not a matter of so, cleansing their hearts. It's embedded in the structure and the system and how the, this country and the world works. Right. Okay. So I, I, I do think there were a few people that, are waking up to that idea that it is systems and maybe lightly. Cause I, I really didn't preach too much on, on anything that could have been perceived as political. Um, but that I would say that's one thing is that yes, it's about you. Yes. You need to do your work and it's systems. It's not about you. Um, and that to me is that really hit home over the 30 days. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to tell you something you didn't ask. Um, cause every day I would, I would write and then I would, you know, talk to my husband about what I wrote and what people were saying. And we would, you know, talk about 
just what it means to be a white person and how it feels and you feel stuck or trapped or whatever, whatever. And it just kept dawning on me that white people are making all their decisions about around their emotions. Like we might feel embarrassed or humiliated, or we might feel uncomfortable or, you know, we might feel some sort of negative emotion and that is motivating our decisions and our actions. And the whole time that we are sort of playing to our comfort, actual black experiences and lives are happening. You know, it just, it really sunk in for me how much white people are just sitting around talking about their thoughts and feelings while, you know, and it's not just about police brutality, it's healthcare and job pay. You know, it's a lot more than just black men dying at the hands of police. And so it just, it really hit home with me by the end of the 30 days, how much white people don't understand. We, we are just beholden to our emotions. We're just making all our decisions based on our comfort. And while we are staying comfortable, black people's lives are not comfortable, you know, and experiencing oppression in all, in all forms. It really, it just sunk in so viscerally by the end of the 30 days. Wow, that's very insightful. And we have no expectation of the comfort level that you assume you're in. Right. Right. Oh, it's so, and it's so hard to imagine that, you know, like, like we get to choose discomfort, you know, in order to become an ally or an advocate, we, we, we get to choose discomfort. Whereas black people, I, I can't imagine that you're hardly ever comfortable. I don't, I don't know, but. Yeah. Okay. So yes and no. I watched some kids playing after a bomb hit in some country, Aru or something. And the little kids were playing and laughing and picking up the stuff. And there was debris all around because they had just been bombed. And I thought this human spirit, kids can still play in the midst of death and destruction. And so that's the paradigm right. of living. It, it, we, I can still be happy. And you know I am a happy person. I can still be right. happy. And I can, when I... I can look around and look at some of my relatives and look at friends and look at the news and lose my mind. So that's, that's, that's the split. I don't right. expect to be chronically comfortable. So what's changed for you, Amy? Um, well, I mean, we talked about this a little bit with self-doubt where I now, I now have an understanding that I don't need permission to speak. You know, I don't need somebody to give me a title and a microphone in order for me to have a voice. Um, I wouldn't say that my understanding of racism has changed that much, but I would say my focus on it has changed intensely. Um, I feel, and this is going to be selfish, but 
white person, so there you go. I feel like this 30 days, <laughs> I think it's helped me become who I thought that I was. Somebody that would be uncomfortable in order to do the right thing. Um, and somebody that has learned from life and is willing to share that. You know, I a lot of the the most popular posts were the ones where I had an apology at the beginning, and I tried to spell out very specifically what the behaviors were and what their impact was that I didn't understand at the time, and apologize for that. And those posts tended to be the ones that were um, the most helpful for other white people because they also had engaged in those behaviors. So I think what has changed for, for me also is just learning the value in sharing what I know um, and just realizing that my, my voice does matter. It sounds so trite, but you know, no, you don't have to be a published book author. You don't have to be a professor. You know, you don't have to be a specific person to have an impact. And I, I don't think I really understood that before. Um, and so it, it feels, I, I think it feels really great not only to have sort of figured that out for myself, but to have figured that out not because that was my goal, but because my goal was to demonstrate to my black loved ones that I, I cared about them. Um, and then, you know, my own personal growth was a, a lovely bonus. Um, I, I don't feel I could have, I, I love my black friends to my full capacity. So that hasn't changed. You know, my love hasn't changed. Um, I think the only thing that's changed is my understanding of myself. The best social justice actions, the best contributions we make, if we do not grow in it, we're not getting or giving the full benefit, I believe. So for right. you to grow in that, to me, is an indicator not only of your growth, but of the service that you provided. I mm. think those two things have to go hand in hand. If it's all sacrifice and I don't get something back, it's not, it's not, it's not right. It's something's gonna be missing and hollow in it. Right. So. I've, yeah, the personal growth is the ribbon. <laughs> yes, thank you. Hey, that's cool. Yes, indeed. That's the ribbon, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, let's wrap up. What next? What do you think this means for you moving forward? Um, I think I, like many white people, am sort of conflict avoidant and would steer away from what might be unpleasant conversation. So what's next for me is to stop doing that um, and to get political. I, I already was a little bit politically minded 
because I've been interested in social justice, but it's going to be with a whole different tune now, a whole different um, veracity, I guess. I think that's what's next. Um, I did have a few requests from some people about turning my 30 days into an ebook. Oh uh, yeah. That's about, that sounds like a lovely idea. Um, it, there would definitely need to be some edits and some additions in there. I don't have any immediate plans to do that, but that does sound um, like an intriguing idea. Um, and if it's something, again, I don't know, I don't know the impact, but if there were things where, oh, my father's friend's friend's boss, whatever happened to see it and found it helpful, you know, if an online ebook would, if, if, could get passed around and would be helpful to people, then that's certainly worth exploring. Um, and honestly, the other question of what's next is, is who knows, because we're still in, in the pandemic and none of us know. That's true. Okay. So this has been Amy Foy Hagerman, who wrote for 30 Days About Race. And... You can, she's, she's promised to give us a, at least one of her posts. We'll have it as a PDF attached. And thank you, Amy, for being here. Oh, and I have a blog, www.leadingconsciousness.com. This interview with Amy will show up on the, uh, on the website. It's a section called Blog and Blog. And this is our very first blog. Thank you for helping yeah. introduce it. And thanks for being here. And thanks for being you. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye.